You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to be saved Would you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, we give you thanks and praise that we can meet and receive the deep riches of your word. We ask for your blessing that the word you have placed into our hands, into our ears, that it may grow and bear good fruit, that we may come to a right understanding of it, that you would warm us by the power of your spirit as once you warmed John Wesley. Fill us with your grace that we may better be your people. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to take you back in time to 1990. In 1990, I was pledging a fraternity. It's a music fraternity. And um, this is about November. And for the last eight weeks, I and my three pledge brothers have been subject to various kinds of humiliations. (laughs) Um, Some simple things like wearing a giant cardboard triangle with the name of our fraternity on it to anytime you're walking across campus any any brother wearing a pin can actually stop you and quiz you or make you run errands and do strange things. They like especially to embarrass us in front of the girls. Because, um, you know, being a sophomore in college isn't awkward enough. And, uh, and we had finally passed our written exam. You had to get 100%. So we had finally passed our exam and we were ready for the party they were throwing for us on Friday night. We were so grateful. We're just, we were finally relaxed. We, we came in and the part, you know, all these people started arriving and they, the party got started and, and about 10, 15 minutes into the party, we hear this dog whistle blow. And it's our fraternity education officer, our pledge master. And he says, pledges, line up now. Oh, here we go. And he points around at the rest of the room and he says, you are not here for a party. For them, it's a party. For you, it's initiation. Line up and do what you're told. And for the next three hours, we went on a journey, first around campus and then off campus. And a night, which we were all anticipating anyway, for a little relief and fun, turned into the night that I went from being a pledge to being a brother. And most of my best friends from that time in my life were in that group of guys that I spent the next four years making music with. I think that for most Christians, the prospect of salvation is a lot like that night was for me. We anticipate it. We're looking forward to it. But we don't really have a grasp on what is going to happen to us when we arrive at our destination. 
I don't think it's intentional. We say a lot of things as part of our sort of normal Christian culture. You go to a funeral and people say, well, they're in a better place now. Well, that's true. But it's far short of the reality of what salvation is. The way the Holy Scriptures paint the picture for us. When you read the book of Revelation and you see the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, the capital city in its midst, what's missing from the city that was central to the Jerusalem of Jesus' time is a temple. That's explicit, you're explicitly told there is no temple in the new Jerusalem because the Lamb is the light of the city of God. There is no special place to go and worship God because God is everywhere. He's the light by which you see. He's every breath you take. And heaven, salvation, in the fullness of what it means, is simply being swept up into the inner life of the Trinity. When Christians talk about the Trinity, what we're really saying is what we say more simply to the children who just left, God is love. Because even before creation existed, God had someone to love. The Father loved the Son, and the Son loved the Father, and the Holy Spirit loved both. All three of them together in an eternal communion of love. And that is the destiny for which we have been saved. We think a lot about what we're saved from. Sin, death, and the devil. And that's all well and good. And in today's Gospel reading, we see Jesus kicking the tar out of all three. But we are not just saved from ourselves and our bad choices and the powers of sin, death, and the devil. We are saved for communion with the living God. In His internal life, a perpetual self-giving love. It's an unbelievable destiny. And it's one to which our reading in 1 Corinthians points today. Most of us are familiar with this passage from 1 Corinthians from weddings we've gone to. Love is patient, love is kind, it is not arrogant or boastful or rude, and we go on. And it's so nice. And I've read it at weddings, lots of weddings. But the love that's being spoken of here is not romantic love. There's a word for that in Greek, it's called eros. The word that's used here in the Greek of the New Testament is agape, which is self-sacrificing love. And St. Paul, as we transition into this chapter, has just been talking about all the amazing gifts that the Spirit gives to the people of God to bless and sustain each other in this life. Gifts like teaching and prophecy and administration and healing and prayer. He goes through the whole list. Or actually, he goes through a partial list. The list is all through Scripture. You've got to look a little more widely. But then he says at the beginning of today's reading, but let me show you a more excellent way. And he starts talking about the gifts that were all given and which we unpack and play with a little too little in this life. Faith, 
hope, and love. That word love, agape, at the end he says, love never ends. I actually kind of like the King James translation there a little better. Charity. Charity is love in action, love in sacrifice, and that's what Paul is pointing toward. And that's what never ends. So faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love, and that ought to give us pause. Because if we're saved by grace through faith, you would expect the apostle of grace, as St. Paul is called, to say faith is the greatest thing. Why doesn't he? What has everything to do with the horizon of your meaning? Everything to do with how far you're looking out. See, faith is wonderful. Faith is the thing that holds on to the its promises of God. It's what trusts God's character and His promise. And it's precious to us in that life because of it. But when we arrive in the New Jerusalem, when God is every breath we breathe and the light by which we see everything around us and we are swept up in His life of love, what promise is left to be trusted? All the promises are fulfilled. Hope, the same way. Hope is a desire for a thing we don't yet have. I remember there was a couple years ago, there was a movie remake of a really old Cary Grant movie called The Bishop's Wife. They remade it as The Preacher's Wife, and it starred Danziel Washington. And um, at one point, the, the preacher is with a young man who's going into court and the, the preacher's going in to testify to him, and this young man, and he's an at-risk kid. He's, you know, he knows him from the neighborhood. And the, he says to the kid, well, I'm going to go talk to the, the judge. You better pray. And the kid says, pray? I never prayed. I don't know how to pray. He says to him, he says, well, do you ever shoot a basket? Yeah! Do you ever... As you throw that ball, and before it hits the hoop, do you ever hope that that ball is going to go through the hoop? Well, yeah. That's all a prayer is. When every hope is fulfilled, what is left to hope for? That's what the life of heaven is. But love, oh, love, self-sacrificing love, the love which gives without looking to receive, that's the very life of heaven. That's what never ends. And all of the things that we call Christian ethics or morality or discipleship, all of that is just practice in this life for the life of heaven. Last week I said, defined, uh, per Dallas Willard, I defined the kingdom of God as the effective reach of God's will. If love never ends, learning to love sacrificially, that is God's will being done in and through us and the kingdom extending just a little bit further. 
So if, if love is our destiny, if to be swept up into love is the very vision of heaven, why would anyone reject it? And the answer is painfully simple. It's the short-term cost. It's the same reason you don't exercise as much as your doctor says you should and you cheat on your diet. <laughs> that sounds really good, but it's way off there. And this I have right now. Health is good. Bacon is better. <laughs> but there's also the reality is that that kind of love, love that really looks to the need of another, is incredibly painful. Nothing shows us that more than the cross of Jesus Christ itself. God so loved the world, we say, and you see 316 held up at football games. He so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Love is painful. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, writes about this just so eloquently. He says, To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin or your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. When Lewis wrote those words, he was a single man. Later, as he watched his beloved wife, Joy, die of cancer, he would learn firsthand the painful truth of the words he had written. To love is to be vulnerable. To hurt on behalf of and because of another. Because we don't want to sacrifice what we have, because we're afraid of the pain, we pull back from the life of love that is the life of heaven. But that is not our eternal destiny. That's the sin for which we need to be forgiven. But when we in faith live out the love that St. Paul talks about in our reading today, then there's, there's no telling what God will do as He extends His kingdom through us. And that there's a story which illustrates this so clearly for me. Most of us know the song Bridge Over the River Kwai. Even if you don't know it by that name, you know the melody. Do, 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 
do, do. But most of us have never heard of the, of the book Miracle at the River Kwai. It recounts the story of the Scottish regiment upon which the movie was based. Interred in a Japanese prison camp under some of the harshest conditions that people would experience outside of a gulag or the concentration camps of Nazi Germany. These men who had gone into battle shoulder to shoulder fell to squabbling and scrapping and, and in the hard scrabble desire to just live one more day treating each other horribly. One day as they were going out to the river to work, the Japanese commander counted only 21 shovels and there were 22 men. He lined them up and screamed at them. He shouted at them. He threatened them. He said, if, if I don't find out who stole a shovel, I'm going to shoot all of you. And he pulled his sidearm out. One man stepped forward and confessed. Reholstering his sidearm, he took one of the shovels in question and beat the man to death in front of his comrades. When they came down to the river, they counted the shovels and there were 22. One man had stepped forward and sacrificed himself so the other 21 could go home or at least have the chance. And the news spread like wildfire through the camp. The people, the prisoners, started to treat each other with more humanity. They started to share their precious resources that would enable them to live day to day. And finally, when the Allies won and the camp was liberated, and they were allowed to walk past their lined-up captors, they didn't spit on them. They didn't curse them. Instead, one of them, the spokesman for the group, looked at them and said, all that's over. Now is the time for forgiveness and healing. When we step out in faith to love sacrificially, to love as God loves, we are beginning to experience the life of heaven, the life for which we're destined. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord Jesus, you show us the true measure of love. For your Father so loved the world that he gave you, and you so loved the world that you gave yourself. That we might not only be forgiven of our sins, but we might grow into your likeness. Strengthen and bless us, Lord, as we seek this, your will for our lives. Grant us to count no sacrifice too large to make that we may know better your love and show it to others. 
Forgive us when we fail. Strengthen us in our desire to do good in your sight. And fill us with your spirit so we may have the power to do what we wish to do. This we ask in your precious name, for you do live and reign with the Father and Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my light.